welcome to Healthcare Unfiltered, the Shadi Nabhan podcast. I appreciate your support and I appreciate you tuning in to for this episode of Healthcare Unfiltered. Today you are in for a treat. And I know I say that quite often on many of the podcast episodes, but this is really a treat. Over the past several months, I got introduced to Dr. Noha Albaz. Dr. Noha Albaz is a humanitarian, a pediatrician, an immigrant that speaks seven languages. And she has been instrumental in helping so many children and kids through her writing and through forming um, an organization, a non-for-profit called Les Petits Soleil, uh, which really is tasked by uh, helping the um, kids all over the world. That organization is actually founded by her and her colleagues, and it is currently in Lebanon, and has helped thousands and thousands of, of children. I wanted to bring Dr. Albaz to the Healthcare Unfiltered so you could be inspired as she inspired me. Learn about her journey, learn about how she actually has um, left Aleppo to Lebanon to Paris. And throughout her entire journey, she has maintained always the core reason why, why she is in medicine, which is her being a healer and a humanitarian. And that is really why um, I have asked Dr. Albaz to come into the show. I hope that you are going to enjoy this podcast episode as much as I enjoy taping it. And if you really like what you hear, just go on to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any of the podcast outlets that you actually uh, use and find the show, rate it, like it, subscribe to it, refer a colleague, write a brief review if you can. I am very grateful for your support and to, um, to everything that you're doing to support the show. Of course, you can check out all of these podcast episodes on my website, www.chadinabhan.com, as well as on um, my YouTube channel, Chadi Nabhan and Healthcare Unfiltered. Without further ado, Dr. Noha Albaz on Healthcare Unfiltered. Well, it is really such a, a pleasure and an honor of mine uh, today to uh, host Dr. Noha Albaz on Healthcare Unfiltered. We're actually taping this show uh, on a Sunday, uh, January 30th, 2022. And thanks, thanks to the Zoom technology, and by the way, Zoom is not paying for this podcast. I, I wish they would. But thanks for Zoom technology, I'm able to communicate and uh, have Noha join me today on Healthcare Unfiltered while she is in France. Uh, Noha, welcome to Healthcare Unfiltered. I really appreciate you taking time of your schedule to, to join us. Um, I'm very excited to have you on. Um, and I just want to at least start by introducing you to, to, to listeners and to viewers. Tell us just a little bit of uh, who you are and where you are currently and then I want to try to take you through memory lane and start to go to your beginnings and how did everything start. But um, tell us about you and your current situation. First of all, Shadi, thank you for inviting me for this podcast. Thank you to, to um, a wonderful person, Marielle, who uh, 
told me about you and what you are doing. Uh, it's a pleasure and it's an honor to participate to this podcast today. I guess we have a lot of things to share together. Being pediatrician, coming from the beginning from a country, I was born in Aleppo and raised there uh, until the age of uh, six, seven. No, six, not even seven. And then we went to to Lebanon because my uh, my father was working over there. Um, things I saw in Aleppo after the you know the seven the, the six days war uh, in 1967 and all the bombings and all the, the you know the the things that making people fearing of tomorrows and. Um, the people I, you know, I've been raised in a very uh, conservative home, if I can say, uh, which everything was made at home. We were not allowed to go out very oftenly because of the situation and the troubles uh, into the streets. And uh, as a child, I was the eldest in the family. We were four. Um, it was it was a little bit difficult to see that the, the world around us was uh, always shaking for a reason. And that the, the, um, the land in which you are uh, uh, raised in is always uh, unsecured. So from the beginning, I wanted to be a healer. I wanted to give joy to uh, kids and people around me. And thanks God, I had the chance to have very dear parents. My my uh, father was a very merry uh, guy, and he always um, pushed me to look at the bright side of life. And uh, my, my mother, being uh, Swiss by you know born, uh, we were raised in French first. That's why all my books uh, are uh, written in French. After this, we went to Lebanon with the family. And of course, you know, the situation is Lebanon is not so much better. I guess uh, you see what happened with the country now. And it was always shaken. We, were, we arrived to Lebanon a few years after that. The civil war began. And uh, I was um, uh, beginning my uh, secondary school, you say, I, in CZM, in, you know, I, and uh, there were fear every day, everywhere. I mean, waiting for the bus for school was like being a hero because we, we didn't know if going to school, we would be able to come back. Um, so the everyday life was very fearing. Um, we went during the war to Geneva first and to Paris, and we spent our times traveling between uh, Europe and uh, Lebanon. Why did you go to Geneva and Paris? Was it your family had the job? My family, there? my mother's family was in Geneva, and my father was denying the fact or raising, of raising his children only in one language. He wanted us to be raised in French, in English, to be open to the world because he 
always thought that this is the key. Culture is the key for a human being. Culture and learning is for him was the best treasure in life. And I will never thank them enough for what they did. Sending us to, you know, very uh, top schools just to, to be people who can be helping for others. So with this kind of education and with my desire to be a healer, I choose to be a doctor. <laughs> so so, so you, you, you went to medical school in Lebanon or in Geneva or Paris? No, not in Geneva, because Geneva <laughs> never prepares you. The school in Geneva never prepares you to medical school. I went to medical school in Paris, Paris Descartes, uh, at uh, Necker Enfant Malade, the children's hospital. And I went to the faculty in Beirut, in uh, Saint Joseph University in French, in Beirut. The story is a little bit amazing because my uncle, um, the father of uh, the brother of my father, is cardiologist in the United States, and he was pushing me to come to Boston and to follow my. Um, uh, you know, my studies in, in the university over there, he introduced me to a famous pediatrician, Brazelton, if you ever heard about him. But uh, I choose to, to make my studies in Paris. Actually, I was engaged and uh, I got married and my husband is an ophthalmologist. So we decided to continue our studies between Beirut when it was possible and Paris. So <clears throat> what was the, take me through the, you said that you wanted to be a healer. What was, what, tell me a little bit more about that. What, what did you see? What, what was the things that really pushed you to be a physician first and a pediatrician second? Uh, being the eldest one in the family puts you always a lot of charge on your arms, right? And I was, uh, even if we had a lot of people at home helping us, I was the one in uh, charge. Every, my, my parents used to travel a lot. And uh, of course, we have members of the family, but I was in charge of the well-being of my, um, you know, my siblings. And uh, I love kids. Since I was, you know, uh, very young, I remember in the, um, uh, during the summertime in our house in the mountains in Lebanon, I was always surrounded by kids tell, telling them stories, taking care of uh, uh, the dolls, you know, uh, for example, telling that the doll was ill and I had to take care and how I was going to take care. So uh, being a healer for me is something very precious because uh, you give a hope somewhere, some, any kind of, you know, to, to, uh, uh, to others that there is always a solution, you know? And I guess this, I was born like that. I... I I, I pick up my uh, medical uh, studies because I was born for helping, I guess. Voila. And then... Uh... And being a pediatrician, because 
when you work with kids, you give hope. Kids are the future. Kids are um, our hopes, especially now in Lebanon, you know. In Lebanon, which the situation is terrible, I have found them, now you, you know about it, since uh, 25 years now, the Small Sun Association, Le Petit Soleil. And we are giving a helping hand to all the families in need, to the kids in need, who cannot assume the charge of being treated, going to hospitals. And um, as I am known a little bit as a diplomat, the doctor of the dip diplomats, because I speak several languages, uh, so uh, all the diplomats helped me a lot in Lebanon. Um, the spouses of the, you know, there is a diplomatic spouse association who uh, every year was giving me possibilities to make uh, like uh, dinners in their residence or uh, uh, some art things in their in their uh, in the residence and. Um, that pushed me, pushed me to, to give the best of me. I have several passions in life. Oh, no, you do, and I'm going to talk about all of them. But, you know, I want to digress just a little bit. You said you speak many languages. Which, how many languages do you speak? Seven. <laughs> oh, mon Dieu, mon Dieu, mon Dieu, mon Dieu, Noir. <laughs> Mais non, pas mon Dieu, c'est comme ça. Parlate italiano. Okay, so let's start. You speak... You speak you speak Arabic, you speak English, you speak French. English, French, Italian, Spanish, and uh, uh, I'm learning a little bit of Portuguese and, of course, German, because in Switzerland, if you want it or not, at school, you have to learn Italian as it's a confederation. You know, Switzerland is a confederation, so um, they respect each other. The, the, the German part of Switzerland respect the French part and the Italian part too. And they all decide to give several languages at school. All of them are not following that. The Italian are very, you know, yeah, they don't the learn. Italians, yeah. Uh, la, la, they, don't, they don't want to learn, but the French, the Romans are very, uh, you know, stubborn about that. And in Geneva, I had to practice and I love it. I just love it. I pick up Spanish later on because my eldest daughter chose to make her baccalaureate. Uh, is, is she pick up the language of Spanish. So we had at home in Paris, a Colombian lady taking care of the house. And I love the music of the language. So to push my daughter to give the best of herself in, uh, for baccalaureate, I went with her to um, Instituto Cervantes and I learned Spanish and that's it. So, so you, but you speak all of them fluently. Well, I try. You yeah. know, all languages you have to, you have to practice in all languages. But when I want to, uh, you know, to, to give a hug to my, to my children, my first language, of course, is French. It's my mother tongue, but then Arabic. Because uh, in Arabic, you have words that no other language can, uh, you know, overcome. 
سو مضبوط معك حق مضبوط بدي هنج مثلا اولاد اولادي هلا بغنجهم بالعربي I I I have words I have a lot of tenderness for Arabic. Yeah, but uh, here's now I'm trying to think. At some point, we need to start taping this podcast in different languages. That's going to be my chance to go, you know, wow. universally. Yeah, see? But you're practicing see? Russian. I'm uh, I'm yeah I'm trying to learn Russian. So it's not really the most popular language out there, but I do like it. I have a lot of friends who are Russian, so I've started. I've decided I need to learn it so I can understand how what they say to each other, especially when they talk about jokes and things like that. So it's uh, certainly you know, you know it's very it's very close to Arabic actually. You know what what is what is <clears throat> like to me um, knowing new languages is really a window into a new culture and certainly. a window into a new history, <clears throat> and really understanding the history and a culture of a population or a country is so important because there are scenarios in the United States where I really feel we have our own bubble, where we think that the entire world revolves around where you are in the U.S. and not really recognizing all of the cultures and languages and people all over the world. So I, I, you know, I love learning new languages and so on, but this is not about me. Let's go back to talk no, about you. Very interesting to know about you, Shadi. Uh, you know, we met, we've met a little bit over the phone, but I, I, I'm very thrilled to know a little bit more about you, you know? That's for another this podcast. This podcast is about you. So, so uh, yes, but so, it's the next page also. So. Yes, yes, absolutely. But let, let's go back uh, a little bit. Um, so, so you finished your medical school in Paris, and then... You were traveling back and forth between Beirut and Paris. Um, no, I finished. Uh, just a moment. I I I finished my. Uh, I was degree. My degree. I got it in Beirut, in Saint Joseph University, and then, as I told you, we were. I I got married because right. he was waiting the guy for, <laughs> since oh. three years. So um, we got married, and I, we we came to France. Okay. And I follow my pediatrics uh, studies in Paris, okay. all of them. Okay. And then I, uh, I met genetics also. You don't know about that. I, I uh, choose to um, into pediatrics to go into two things, pneumology and genetics. And I make it all at Paris 5 at René Descartes. And then... Um, I was raising my kids at the same time. And my husband were, uh, was doing his ophthalmologic studies. The city of Paris gave me the opportunity to be doctor of the city, which is, you know, in a way, a huge uh, work for a young doctor. But as I was fluent in languages, thanks to God, I was able to help a lot of people, and I was able to help uh, French people to understand the Arabic, the refugees coming, and uh, you know there are a lot of centers in Paris for refugees and welcoming uh, uh, people. So I helped them, and then there was degrees, and I got uh, the title of um, 
uh, médecin de la ville de Paris, but I was responsible of the 16th, uh, if you know Paris, the 16th, the 8th, and the central Paris. Who gives you that title? Um, uh, well, there was a lot, uh, there, there is a commission in Paris, and um, uh, the, the mayor of the city uh, gave me the title as uh, I was very helping in the social field. That's amazing. I, I mean, that's, I, a, that's amazing. Like the mayor of the city of Paris gives you a title as the city doctor. Yeah, but there are a lot of doctors. I mean, not a lot, but there are yeah. certain number of doctors having the same title. When you get yourself in social uh, helping and the social field and the community, you can help a lot. And I learned a lot from this is the most important point because I've learned so many things. When we decided to come back to Lebanon with my husband in 19... When did you decide to go back? In 1995. So you were in uh, Paris for... 1990, yeah, early, early, early... Nine, no, 1995, at the end of 1995. So you were in Paris After for the, uh, Pardon? You were in Paris for 20 years? Yes, we were still in Paris. We never left Paris. But we decided when the situation get a little bit better in Lebanon, if I can say that years ago, we decided to get back and uh, uh, bring our cobblestone to the you know, reorganization of the, of the country. Of course, our parents were still living. And this one reason who pushed us to get back with the kids and let them know also their roots from where they were coming. For me, it's very important to, because we tried in Paris to make them learn Arabic as much as possible, but it was quite impossible, you know. Kids, when they are uh, young, they refuse to, to speak with their parents uh, friends in uh, in other languages than french so it was it was an opportunity to go back to lebanon and to help and uh, maybe i didn't not uh, specify that i make my internship in lebanon during the the hardest day of the war of the war um, and my fiance was in paris by that time and my parents were living in paris by that time but I decided to make my internship to Lebanon because I was in a debt somewhere for this country. I said, I begin my, my, uh, my courses of, in medical school in, in Lebanon, and I wanted them to, to help people over there. So I made my internship, and when I'm telling you that it was the hardest days of the war, there were a lot of things. Uh, you know, Israeli bombing, Israeli invasion, the, um, uh, the uh, Bashir Jmail was killed. And we were few girls in medical school. This is very important to notice. I mean, in all the, the um, class, uh, my class uh, in, in medical school, we were like five girls, five women. <laughs> and two, I was a, there, we were two working at the most important hospital of the city, two of us. And I was um, 
during very hard time in charge of the ER uh, in the hospital. But as I told you before, I was not prepared to see all that mess and all that suffering. I, 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 I'm coming from a very um, conservative and secure, um, if I can say, um, belonging. And uh, people were very uh, um, astonished when they knew that I picked up uh, to be a doctor. Because I heard, I mean, since uh, until now, I'm hearing, why are you working? Why am I working when you have the chance to make studies and help others? You don't do it just because you, you were born in a family who can assure everything. This is stupid. Right. God give us things to share with others. It has always been my belief. And um, you are not allowed to disregard a lot of things that you were given just to be resting yourself. This is my point of view in life. Right. And sharing, caring, this is true life. What's the meaning of life? What's the meaning of being happy? What's happiness? It's not running about commodities and material things, having a new Chanel bag. Well, I'm a woman first. I love lovely things and I don't deny the fact to be a woman. And being feminine is for me is a job, but being feminine, feminine in, a, in a true way, in an authentic way, not only for posing and making Instagram shots, and see, <laughs> you see, voila. So um, you went back to Lebanon in '95 um, yeah. with, with the family, and of course, you still maintained your, you know, probably going back and forth between France and and and, and Lebanon. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I maintain my work in France. Yeah. When you went back, when you went back to Lebanon, though, um, were so you were working both in Lebanon and France, or what did you do in Lebanon? Yes. Yes. Exactly. I was doing different things. In Lebanon, I was consulting every day and uh, taking care of the Small Sun Association for those kids in need. In France, I was, I'm still counselor. I mean, I am, um, how, do you, how can I say? I work for Pure Essentiel, which is um, a huge aromatherapy company, um, giving natural, uh, stuff and and uh, it's not therapy i'm not going to say therapy but it's not therapy aromatherapy gives you um maybe strain due to um, immunity and things like that and you know the swiss part of mine is very interested by plants by nature by the the quality air quality by uh, what you are eating i was raised very consciously in this I mean, what you put inside your mouth make, makes who you are. And uh, your dish speaks about you. And I was raised in this idea, in the fact that you have to be careful of what you are eating. You have to be careful of the environment, of uh, the, the world you are living in. And uh, that's take me to aromatherapy. And I wrote, even a book on on how to eat yeah, essential no, oil. I, I'm gonna get into the books, but I want to still hone in a little bit on the um, 
you mentioned a couple of times Noha the association. Yeah. Um, and uh, I want to spend some time on this a little bit just to better understand what it is and, and when it started and what it does. Did this start in 95 when you went back to Lebanon or take me through what are you talking about when you mentioned the association, how it started, um, how did you get off the ground and what it really does and what's the goal of the association? Because I, I'm trying to figure out, did you start in Paris or you started this in Lebanon and I want to make sure I get this straight. No, I, I started this in Lebanon first. Uh, at the very beginning, it was an idea. I was making my internship and I was faced to a very sad situation. There was an eight years old boy who was bringing by his grandfather on his back shoulder from the south of the country. And the guy had spent eight hours walking from the south of Lebanon to come to, the, to Beirut to get a better treatment. They were very poor people. The guy was in agronomy and he has mozaria. Uh, yani he, was, he was not even eating every day, but he was so much founded to his grandson that it, it has no solution. Uh, he couldn't... Uh, the, 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 the boy couldn't be treated correctly in the south of the country, so he decided to bring him to uh, the biggest uh, hospital in Beirut to be treated. Unfortunately, he had meningitis, and uh, the hospital asked a terrible amount to the grandfather, uh, which was $3,500, and they refused the case at the entrance of the hospital. And I get mad. I, I remember as a student, I get mad. I, I went to the administration and I told them, but he's going to die. You cannot leave a, a child like that. And the reply was, uh, my dear uh, doctor, here we have an administration. It's a hospital, it's not a charity business. And I said, how do you, how can you mention that when the name of a hospital has God in it? I mean, it, this is crazy. And by this time, there were no phones in Lebanon. It was the middle of the war. My parents were, were in Paris. And as a student, I didn't have the amount for paying the charge for the kids. So the kids died on the road. He left the hospital and he died on the road. And I swear to myself that as soon as I will be graduate, I will never let a situation repeat itself this way. So after 15 years spent in, in Paris, making my pediatrics formation and uh, raising my kids, and uh, we decide, as I told you, to come back, to get back to Lebanon. And in 1995, at the, the, I begin to volunteer there. You know, there is a community who asked me to volunteer in a dispensary. Um, and one day there was a taxi driver who bring me his daughter, 11 years old, who was pale as a shadow, coming for the consultation, pretending that, um, well, uh, the, the father has no, no much money, I mean, and he had already taken her to another hospital 
when he has, they have been told that, you know, that's nothing, it's a gastroenteritis. But it was evident that she was in, in terrible situation. I examined her and I detected a pneumonia and I said, she needs an X-ray now. Go to the hospital, Hotel Dieu, where I work. I was uh, admitting my patient and make the X-ray over there. The resident in Hotel Dieu called me and he told me, you know, um, uh, we make the, the radio, we make the, the X-ray and uh, it is a pneumonia and she has to be admitted. So I said, yalla, let's go admit her. And he said, no, the father has only $20, 20 bucks in his pocket. I said, what? 15 years later, it's the same situation. So I left my uh, the, the infirmary. I said, I'm sorry, I went to the hospital, go directly to the director uh, office, make a check and tell him, this is a check. You have to admit her now. Four hours later, she was in um, intensive care. She had staphylococci pleuropulmonary. You know, it's a staphylococcia. Well, she spent six weeks in uh, high uh, uh, intensive care. And when the bill came, it was over $27,000, nearly $28,000. And I had to pay for all that. So I went to see my father who said, yeah, Binti, uh, this is very elegant and very, but if you continue like that, you're going to close maybe two or three cases and after. Uh, okay, you work for, for helping, it's okay, but you cannot help people uh, this way only. So I called one of my um, best friends, uh, Salim Edde. Salim Edde is a guy, um, incredibly intelligent, you know, he is polytechnician, polytechnician, but it's not, you know, in France, we said, une tête bien faite, mais un cœur intelligent. He, he was um, a dearly heart, I mean, intelligent heart. And so he listened to me and he said, why didn't you, uh, why don't you told me about that years ago? Because I began actually the, the, the small son uh, by myself one and a half years after beginning uh, coming to Lebanon, but telling nobody, you know, paying from time to time for tears. And so he told me, why, why didn't you tell me about? Because I said, Salim, we see each other for fun, for swimming, for and I was, you know, and he said, no, you have to do this. We're going to make an association in a real for, and my father was pushing for that too. So uh, I spoke about the idea to a lot of doctors around me and really good people who said, Yalla, of course, if you begin the things, we are with you. And we were like 40 doctors with EMT, ophthalmologists, orthopedics, uh, a general surgery, cardiologists, gynecologists, you know, and uh, the association, it was, you know, with no much um, tantamar, how do you say, not noisy, 
but we were doing real job. I, I hate, you know, when you want to be in charity, you have to do things for me in a um, discreet way. Not fooling, uh, you know, putting posters everywhere and, and saying that you are helping. The, the person who wants to help, help. She doesn't need all this uh, uh, advertising around, you see. That's it. So... Uh, what's, what's the name? What's the name of the organization, Noah? Les Petits Soleils. Uh, Les Petits Soleils. Uh, the, small sun the, the small suns, right? Yeah, the small suns. And the thing with the association is, you know, in Lebanon, especially those days, they disregard the strangers, which is easy to understand because when the you have the uh, people suffering, they look to their sufferings, but they disregard the strangers. And one of my um, belief is uh, you have to give future to all kids from wherever they are coming, you know, a kid suffering is a kid suffering. And the kids are the, the future of the world we are living in. So I treat Syrian refugee, Iraqi refugee. I never look and I never ask any kid from which ethnic he is coming or, or for which belonging. Muslim, she, um, Christian, I don't care. For me, a kid is a kid. And this is the thing who makes the president of the French Senat, uh, Gérard Larcher, you know, the Senate, the senator in, in Paris, when he organized uh, the, Lib the Lebanon days in France, he picked up as an association to represent the country because he made his uh, enquête, you know, his following, and uh, he understood that we were the only one um, taking care of all uh, really without any uh, distinction of political or anything. You, we are out, we are just for human. And humanity for me is my religion. If you get me well. This is, this is amazing. Um, just listening to, to the heartbreaking story of the man who lost his grandson. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and this was probably only one story of many other stories that you, you, did, you did not obviously see. But, but a story like this, you know, um, really triggered you to to go into this path that that is amazing. Um, Noha, I I do appreciate the fact that you say sometimes you do a lot of things without noise, but whenever you do, whenever you have a like an organization like this, you need to get money. Raise the uh, voice. So, so you you need to have that noise to to, to generate money and funds so you can help the kids. How do you do that? Like what kind of events? How do you actually, how do you sustain the funds coming? And I want to make sure that we actually have a link in the podcast to your organization if people want to donate and so on. But in general, how, how, how are you able to get funds and money to help the children? Aside from your own, I know that you contribute a lot of your own money, but aside from that. Now, of course, aside, I mean, if you want it or not, finally, when you do acts like that, people talk. The taxi driver, the, the father of this uh, little daughter, I mean, Gladys now, she's married, she has two kids. 
and uh, you we stay just... in touch. With, you stay in touch with her. Yeah, she she came to me with, with Facebook and all the the this, and all of them are coming and telling. So his uh, her father was uh, getting everywhere in Lebanon speaking about it. So this how the story began. I didn't you know I didn't want to speak about it, but it it came like that. And then of course the press, the journalists, and, and, and I, you know. When I tell you I, I don't like uh, to speak about it, I don't like, but people spoke about it and it, it became very huge. So, but let me tell you how we do for money because we are very transparent in our way. I mean, if you want to help, I will give you uh, a case with the name of a kid. I'm telling you this kid, it's today, uh, was today admitted at this hospital for this reason. If you want to help, you can help directly the the hospital, which people never choose because hospitals in Lebanon are like uh, terribly commercial. So, um, or if you want, you can contribute with uh, an amount of money that we put for the kids. And the people who help have received for each donation and had the receipt of the well, you know, and the following treatment of, uh, of the kid through years. And uh, to raise money, we begin to give, uh, first of all, I told you I love music. So we went to Al Bustan Festival, which is famous and reconnecting now, uh, even uh, with what's happening in Lebanon, they are trying to reconnect. And I was, the first programmation of the festival was for the Petit Soleil. So this was a way. The another way was the gastronomic dinner. My passion uh, into food, uh, people knew that coming to uh, 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 Petit Soleil dinner, they were going to eat very well. They were going to have. Oh, we're dinner. gonna we're gonna go over. The, I'm not. Uh, we're gonna talk about the food because I know that you have. This is a passion of yours for sure. Yeah. So keep keep that uh, keep that piece for a little bit because I wanna I wanna try just still um, in terms of the organization. Do you, uh, you know, do, do you have? It's been there for twenty five years, right? Yeah, we are beginning this year the twenty fifth year. Do you know how many kids you've helped? Yes, over three, uh, 30 mil. Uh, 30 30, mil. That's 30,000. That's 30,000 kids. 30,000. You know, the 30,000, when uh, there was uh, the bombing of Lebanon in uh, 2006, and all the people of the south of Lebanon came to Beirut with a huge problem of family. Here, maybe at the, this moment, we helped like uh, 7,000. 500 kids because families were coming wow. to us. Oh, that's amazing. It, it's incredible. This was incredible. And since there, we have a lot of different cases. We have small cases like helping with giving uh, formulas to family in need. And we have huge cases like uh, treating, uh, for example, um, uh, an orthopedic problem with the prothesis it needs. Yeah cardiologist problem and uh, the thing was i have you know so many stories 
No, uh, I know, I know. Babies putting in, in front of my consultation. Babies putting in baskets in, 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 you know, in front of the door. Uh, I have Mary Teresa um, uh, nuns in Lebanon who, who asked me several times to help them with kids. A lot of associations are now sending us uh, all the medical files that they can, cannot afford. And, That's and, why the number is so important. Yeah. And, uh, but for raising the money, there is something very important. Of course, I went to people's hearts through music and food, but people came to me also by themselves. And that's what made me believe in the goodness of human being. Yeah. You know, I was in my consultation and you have a lot of big business, businessmen who came, take an appointment just for asking me how they can help me. Can you believe that? That's amazing. That's amazing. You have the biggest, uh, the biggest, uh, one of the biggest uh, hotel leader in Lebanon, uh, and uh, who has a lot of, uh, you know, industries, who came by himself because he read uh, in uh, L'Express, you know, it's a magazine, L'Express. It's a French yeah. magazine, yeah. L'Express. Yeah. They pick up the 100 people who were changing Lebanon. I'm speaking, it was at, at the early 2000s here, uh, the year 2000. They make a special number of the magazine and they pick up uh, the 100 people who are making Lebanon a better place. And I was put an inside. Uh, the journalist just called me one week ago to send me the photographer telling me you have been choose because we make our questioning around and you know, we know what you are doing. I was like, but how, how did you know that? And the people are speaking. So my, my picture was of the middle of those and people came to me after that in this way. That's amazing. Um, Noha, I think it goes without saying that over the past couple of years, the situation in Lebanon has been really much worse. Um, yes. For, for a variety of reasons, for a variety of reasons, obviously, and without going into all of the politics and everything, but in your humanitarian efforts, how do you navigate a very turmoil situation such as Lebanon and maintain your focus that your goal is a humanitarian healer, I want to help kids, but the environment around you in a, in a very politically charged country that is very conflicted, is very, very difficult, makes it very difficult. How do you maintain that focus? First of all, I disregard completely politics, okay? Politicians were terrible in this country. I remember making dinners where politicians were coming, telling me, I am here. Do you want me to give you money? I am here, like they were, you know, uh, God on earth. Uh, <laughs> and I said, okay, and then, they were sending me all their, uh, the people behemoon, you see, to take care of them. So I decided from the beginning to disregard politics. Okay, this is first. Second, when you have gi been given the chance to be raised between several cultures and you can bring from a culture to another one, 
uh, how do you say, uh, some strange. So you do it. And nowadays, it has been now two years, then my husband and I and Salim are, uh, Salim, they are uh, transporting uh, healthcare, medicine, uh, whatever you can imagine to treat kids over there because there, are, is there, there is no more even paracetamol over there. Yani, nowadays now, the weather is so cold outside that you have kids trying to get a little bit, uh, you know, uh, how do you say, réchauffé uh, to, to just, heat themselves with the garbage. It's awful. They are lighting yeah. the garbage. I put it on the page of uh, on my Twitter, and and they are lighting the garbage to get just some heat. Can you can you realize? It's and awful. It's awful. What, what I see on TV sometimes is really very. It's just heartbreaking. It's just heartbreaking. Yeah, in a country I, I love, I, I've been to Lebanon many times. It's one of the most beautiful countries in the world. Yeah. I really love it. And uh, it's just very sad to see. But yeah. uh, I, I, you know, what you're doing is amazing, maintaining this despite what's actually going on. Um, you know, there is in French, I'm sorry to cut you. There is a sentence who said, quand il y a une volonté, il y a un chemin. When there is a uh, how do you say there is a road when there is uh on dit volonté en anglais um when there is a road when there's a will there's when there is a exactly there is a way bravo bravo shadi i've tried i try every so often every so often i have a couple of moments usually but very very rare trust me um so, so Noha, along the way, along this unbelievable journey, there are two things that you picked up that uh, fascinate me. One is uh, uh, the food and, and how you really integrate uh, your passion about food into what you are doing. And the second is um, book writing. And, and we'll talk about that. Let's start with the food piece. How you know, look, I mean, you know, um, you know, you're originally Middle Eastern, so you probably, yeah, you know, I mean, you have to, right? <laughs> oh, this is the point. Uh, first, I love food. For me, food is joy. Me too. And, me too. Uh, voilà. and, and what is nowadays, you see, you, all the world is through COVID and through uh, economic things and troubles. What makes you happy? Your cup of coffee in the morning. Ice cream. Ice cream, me too. Especially the mm. the one that was with, uh, with Miski. I wrote a book about Miski. Now he just went uh, two months uh, two months ago in France. Uh, so food brings you joy, and there is something very important for me. When my parents left Aleppo to Beirut and then to France, because my father like was a visionary. In a way, he said, you know, Middle East is shaking, so let's focus also into Europe. As, as a kid, the moments that I, I was seeing my parents fully joyful was around the table with a cup of wine, with good food. So for me, food is sharing, food is loving, food is giving, food is transmitting love. And when you raise kids you know my, my kids were born in Paris and I had 
to speak to them um, about the countries they never saw. So which is the, the you know, the, the simplest way? Okay, talking with them, putting Fairuz, listening to Okay, but this is, that doesn't make you really love a country. So I had to go into their dishes and I put za'atar and I put mjadra and I put olive oil. And you're going to, to be very amazed that when my eldest daughter got to marry, her best uh, friend tell me, please, please, Noha, can't you make us les lentilles du vendredi, I mean, I mean the lentils of, of the Friday, because she was just in love with Mjadara. And I told her, Mao, my dear, my, the friends of Stephanie, my, my eldest daughter, I told her, you know, this is not a wedding dish, but if you want, I can make it for you. We are going to make it. So food, food is very important. There is something we call the memory of the stomach. You know, Claudia Roden, who is a woman that I just love in book writing, Claudia Roden was born is in Egypt, raised a little bit between Damascus and Beirut, and then she's living in London now. We just met at the Edouard Cointreau um, gathering in Paris because he gives me uh, two uh, awards for my books. And when I saw Claudia is, you know, it was, it was like meeting a friend. She has just finished. She was, she has uh, just, sorry for a moment. Um, I'm going to show you. She was, she had just finished to read my book, La Nuit de la Pistache. This is about Aleppo food and the memories of our house over there. And like everything was doing at home. And she recognized the house. She recognized the taste after reading this. And this book, I, I wrote it just <clears throat> by memories. You know, even I was not allowed when we came back to Aleppo to go and see the house because it has been, you know, political so, things. So, 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 so um, the, the book was about combining foods with memory did you did you actually take lessons to learn how to cook? Did you like take anything formal or this was just natural and from your from your own parents? And like, how did you like, I, I think okay. this, is, this is a talent. Not everybody is a good cook. No, I tried, by the way, when I first came to the U.S., believe me, I tried because I couldn't afford eating out every single day. Yeah. And I no idea. Like, I can't even I can't even I can't even do an egg. Oh, wow, wow, wow. Just exactly like my husband. No, don't worry. Men generally are like that. No, you know, uh, as a kid, I was not admitted in the kitchen, but I was always curious of tastes. And I had a sweet grandfather, you know, the father of my mom, who was very elegant in his manners, in his way of putting. Unfortunately, I had lost, as a, my father lost his, um, his father, he was three. So I, I didn't met my, uh, you know, the, my father's side very well. But my, my, the, the sister of my, um, my father, the eldest son, which I just loved, uh, 
from time to time, she was taking me with her into the kitchen, showing me how she was ruling the wara'anab, you know, the wine. Uh, uh. Yeah. And I was, as even as a kid, I was not able to eat anything. I mean, I was, I had very strong idea about food and my tasted, my tastes were very uh, present. So, but for example, it was terrible for me. The kibbe stuffed with plums and I couldn't eat it. But I was always, uh, I've been raised in a house when everything was made at home, even bread. So this is, this puts you into the thing. And after, from my mother's side in Switzerland, uh, she belongs to a family of gastronomic uh, tradition. So uh, one of the restaurants is still here next to Geneva called the L'Hotel de Ville, the Pissier, which is very famous now. And uh, my godfather from my mother's side was totally into gastronomy. So this helps you. Then it was my, it was my natural curiosity. Uh, my first pediatric uh, year in medical school, I was pregnant with my eldest daughter and I went to Ritz Escoffier, to the school of Ritz, Hotel de Ritz in Paris, and I got lessons. Then I followed Le Nôtre, and then Le Cordon Bleu. And uh, in uh, 2009, I decided to push uh, away all the studies about food and gastronomy. And I, I looked on Google, and I found a degree in the city of France, in France. France is the city of Champagne. I love Champagne. <laughs> and uh, I love the, the idea of making studies about gastronomy. So I went to France and uh, it was incredibly interesting. We were 25 uh, people in the promotion, in the, in the class. I was the only Lebanese. <laughs> the only doctor, and uh, after 12 years in medical school, I was still learning every day. We went through six weeks at La Sorbonne in Paris to follow uh, courses of neurophysiology, of taste, and how taste begin in human being, and believe me, it's, wow, it was incredible. After that, we had to make an exam with QCM choice, you know, uh, question of multiple choice question. And the first 15 of the class were allowed after that to make a thesis on a subject of their choice. So I, uh, I choose how to transmit taste to kids because for me, it has, it was, a, a, you know, a link with my pediatric uh, everyday working. And my thesis uh, well, uh, was very well uh, welcomed by the jury who gave me an award uh, and pushed me to write. They asked me, they told me, you can write, you have a talent, you have to use it. And when you have a talent, if this can be considered like a you know, talent, uh, I went into food writing. In Lebanon, I was the one who was writing for magazines in gastronomy. And I, got, I had the idea to make um, like a column 
an editorial called A la table de, c'est-à-dire in, in English, uh, being invited to the table of. And then I, I make interviews with the first lady, with all the um, ambassadors, presenting their country through the food. That's talking amazing. about no it's it's just you know no but it's it's, it's it's i go back to what you just told me uh, to me it's amazing because you just mentioned for example your children yeah. you got them to know the country that they originally were from yeah through the food so there's yeah. so much of that intersection food history and culture that they all really go hand in hand and yeah this is a human being Gashad, you know we are first human, and I guess our humanity can be nourished also by what we put in. You know, telling the story of a dish as a kid, for me, it was very important to know the story of what I was eating. And an amazing thing was that I met adults around in the family who catch the idea. So, for, for example, Mamounir. I love Mamounir. You know, Mamouni, what is it? Yeah, I think. Okay. Mamouni, I wanted to know why they call the dish Mamouni. And this how I knew that it was made for Al Ma'moun, who was one of the big, uh, you know, rulers. rulers in the country. And uh, every dish for me has to tell a story now. And that's and, and the book that you wrote about uh, the the one you just showed me about it has pictures. You were trying to talk about Aleppo and the food. I I I in this book I um, I talked about my memories as a kid in Aleppo, and I dedicate all the the book to the refugees. This was very important for me. They were living and they still living in Lebanon in terrible conditions. And you wanted okay. to try to visit the, the, the house that you were born at, but you weren't able to? Tell us about that. Absolutely. It was, I was not admitted inside because I said this is a military section. And my uh, uh, daughter went and said, but this is the, the house where my mom was raised. And the guard told her, no, no way you cannot have pictures. So... The look life sometimes is amazing. I received like uh, a few months ago a couple of pictures of inside the house who were sent by Jad Musalli. Jad Musalli is uh, a Syrian guy living now in Montreal. He is uh, an engineer and he went into the house. I don't know how. And he sent me through Facebook also all the pictures. Wow. And amazing thing that I was talking in the book of a poster of the Swiss mountains that we had next to our rooms as kids. The poster is still here. Can you imagine? Wow. I mean, I, I will send you the picture. You will see it's unbelievable. And Jacques Moussali went into the house, took the pictures, and each time he come back to Aleppo, he stopped and take picture and I, I, he sent me messages like I'm thinking of you. And our house now became a postcard, my dear, that you can 
buy and send from Syria to the world. So the story is amazing, no? Well, uh, it's amazing. But what other books did you write? Because you you have more than one book. And yeah, so I, I, I'm, curious, one, I'm curious, before you tell me about the actual book, when did you... When did you learn that you are a writer? Because I think, uh-huh. I think, I think, um, uh, how do I say this? I, I think a lot of people, not a lot of people, but you could be a storyteller, but, yes. not, but not a writer. And I think being a writer requ- requires certain set of talents that allows you to communicate with the general public so when did you just notice you have that talent and how did you foster it? And when did you decide, okay, I'm going to write a book? Uh, you know, things come to you sometimes. You don't decide of them. And uh, I'm telling the story of writing in a book called Il n'y a pas de honte à préférer le bonheur. Ah, okay. Well, you know, my, 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 my French is a little bit... Um, okay. Is, it, the uh, word you, know, you need no, to start doing this in English. Okay, the title means you don't have to be ashamed to choose happiness. This is the title of the book. And the sentence is from Albert Camus, uh, who is one of my favorite writers. The history of this book is that uh, there is an an editor, a big uh, publishing house called Albin Michel, who contacts me after reading an article in the Figaro in the Figaro in France, and then asking me to tell my story in all that, you know, pediatrics, food, and so the, the story of writing began. I was in first grade, quatrième. How do you say it in English? Say it again. Quatrième. Uh, patron, uh, patrons means uh, the bank. No, complementary school. I was in complementary school. Ah, okay. And uh, my French teacher gave us uh, a subject and we had to write about it. Uh, a week later, she came into the class and she gave the copy to all the kids but me. And I was like 12 years old. And she sit down, and I'm telling the story in this book. That's why I'm telling you about it. She yeah. sit down, and, and she said to the class, now I'm going to read you a little jewel. She said the word jewel, and she began to, to read uh, my copy. And then she looked at me, and she said, you should go into writing, into literature. And I said, no, I I choose to be a doctor. And she said, but you have to make literature. You have a talent for writing. I said, I don't know. I write like I tell stories, but I I prefer to go into something which can help people. And she told me, you know, books can help also. I still remember. And I, I reconnect with her a few months ago. And it was... She, it was so dear to me because she's maybe 70 now, 70 and something. Mm. And she told me, Noha, I just love your book. Don't you want a secretary? I said, <laughs> Madame Madeleine, a secretary, you, for me, you were, you know, like the whole world. So that's it. Uh, and then, 
when you have a talent, you have that is after the the terrible uh, disaster which happened in August 2020 in Beirut, the port of Beirut. You know, every the the how the old people were down and uh, and. There was an opportunity. There is an editor who contacted me in Paris, telling me, "Noha, don't you want? We have a uh, we have a line in our edition called the taste of taste of the country. Don't you want to write about Lebanon?" I told her, "I will, but à ma manière, at in my way." And the, here, how comes Liban. Maybe this is the one wow. that I speak. I said, okay, I accept the deal, but uh, the challenge, not the deal, but I'm going to, to make it my way. And the editor tell me, write it the way you want. So I begin by la preface, and I put a lot of beautiful things in it. And I said, in Lebanon, even the stones are welcoming. You know, even the stones, the land is, is beautiful, despite all the politics and all the fightings and all the terrible mess the politics make in this country. And here, we are, here they make me this portrait for the book. <laughs> and I always want to put in front all the uh, talents in Lebanon. So I always present my books when I go for a book signing or a meeting with artisanal work. I, I wear, uh, uh, how to say, uh, kaftans. I wear the traditional uh, way and I love to put in front the talents of uh, all the, the, the hand um, uh, worker in Lebanon. For me, it's because it makes a lot of family live. They, they give a lot of family a living, you know? And the book, one month after uh, going in the market in France, got the best awards from Edouard Cointreau. The best gourmand, uh, the best word gourmand awards is something incredibly high in book writing. Uh, for the recipes of a book, I wanted to push the talent of one of my favorite chefs in Lebanon, Joe Barza, uh, for whom I have great admiration because he's authentic, he's charismatic, he has a charisma incredible, and he's very simple and modest. He's not going to speak to you about caviar and, <laughs> uh, and uh, salmon, and no, he will take burhul and make from burhul caviar. You see what I mean? And yeah. he's so down to earth, so simple. And I wanted in <clears> this book to, to show the world all that beauty that comes from simplicity, that come from authenticity. You know, this is for me the real beauty. How did you uh, get into the aromatherapy one? Uh, the aromatherapy, as I told you, I was raised in part with a Swiss, uh, right. um, a Swiss uh, habit. For example, you know, it was terrible for my parents when I pick up medical school. They hate doctors. 
they used to hate doctors and medicines. And they, say, they always said, the best doctor is nature. So <laughs> we were with uh, Yansun and with uh, Zhurad, you know, herbal things and uh, herbal and uh, honey and uh, this stuff. And um, the Arabic medicines, that the, the way you call it in the Middle East, you know, uh, Arabic stories, so uh, Arabic uh, therapies. Um, so we were used, of course, until a certain point. Not, uh, not everything was, uh, but not everything was treated this way. But if we had a cough, we had to go first to uh, the herbal tea with honey, with uh, um, cinnamon, with uh, st stuff like that. I went into aromatherapy because in my everyday consultation in Beirut with pollutions in cities, I had a large number of asthmatic kids, you know, and I was just even in France, in, 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 the, in the section when I work in a children's hospital, it's dedicated to asthma and allergy. And I was, you know, I, it, it was terrible for me to give huge amount of antibiotics, corticoids every day to kids. And I tried to find solution elsewhere. So uh, this is also one of the things that make you, when you live between two countries, even three. So I looked to the product of Pure Essentiel and I read the composition and I begin to put this in, in the waiting room of my consultation. And the kids were coming to the consultation. They were breathing differently. Of course, I, I, I was giving advices to avoid, for example, mites and uh, pollution in the room and uh, you know, uh, the carpets and all the stuff we know as doctor. But I wanted to give also different and natural solutions. During five years, I transported for some of my asthmatic patients the spray 41. The spray 41 is a very powerful combination of essential oils in which you have rosemary, lavender, citrus, I'm not going to give you the formula because I'm not allowed to. And it was given every day so, such comfort to kids that, and to families that I believe in the product. And I showed my prescriptions of antibiotics into kids and lowering every day. Then those people uh, came to get implanted in Lebanon. And they wanted, they asked to meet me because it was in a way, I was a person who makes them famous in Lebanon. So they asked me for, a, a, you know, a rendezvous. They came to my consultation and they are fantastic people. Isabel and Marco Pacioni are fantastic, really fantastic people. We, we became close friends now. Uh, they came to my consultation. They showed the way I was, you know, treating the patient. They came back to Paris and they sent me a proposition for working for them in the pediatric line. I, now I am chief of board. <laughs> I am in, into their board, but it's okay. And uh, I said, okay, I will try. I don't know. 
nothing about aroma. I, I know some, sure. but I'm going to dig into the subject. By chance, in Montreux, in Switzerland, there is a very important uh, medical, uh, not medical, a uh, course, course of aromatherapy. So I registered just for fun, just for learning, and I learned a lot. And uh, now I, we are putting formulas for kids. My grandchildren, I treated by bones, respiratory bones, like we were kids, if you remember Vicks yeah. and Vapor. But now the formula yeah. we are putting on uh, had no harmful things in them. They are no camphor, they are no, you know. And uh, my work is supervising and giving a little bit my um, idea because I, um, as a member of the French uh, Pneumologist Pediatric Society, uh, I can make the link between the traditional medicine and the aroma medicine, that's it. Uh, no, I've just only two more questions and I promise I'll let you go. My first question is um, any new book you're working on? Yes, <laughs> but I'm not allowed to tell yet. Okay, well, you know, don't tell us the book, but the genre, like what are you, what is it like the, the same? The genre is to, rem to make the world remember of a land of milk and honey. That's it. Oh, that's I, the genre, oh, I... You know, there is always poetry in my writing i like yes. i love reading for me is one of the best thing a human being can do listen to music because it's a universal language and read yeah a, a day is lost if you don't read a little bit yeah no i i agree i agree and if you don't smile do you, do you, are you gonna, all of your books are in French, uh, and are you thinking of uh, translating these books into other languages so you can reach broader audience? Yes, of course. For the moment, they are being translated. Um, uh, three of them are going to be, uh, are translated in, in uh, English and Arabic. Wonderful. And uh, German, and uh, they, even Chinese, they proposed me, and I said, I don't understand, because I'm I'm not picky, but I, I, I want to to be sure that it's going to be translated in a good way. And Claudia Roden, for me, is a wonderful person. She's 80 now, almost. And she's such a treasure, such a guide for this kind of book, because for me, it's another job. Being a writer, and it being is, a doctor, two is, jobs. It is so job. I need some guides, you know, into the writing field, which is not very easy always. Well, I know anything pertaining to food. Once you have it in Arabic, I'm going to buy for my mother because she, she, I know that she, um, she would love to read uh, more about you and about uh, uh, all. Bless her, but bless her because she, she gave you the taste of food. Yes, she did. I guess. My last question is, um, what other dreams do you have that you would like to fulfill in the next few? If, if me and you are having a conversation next year and mm -hmm. checking in with each other, um, how would the world look like? Uh, did you, it's hard to tape this episode while we're still in COVID-19 without asking you whether 
anything this pandemic has affected your uh, organization, your writing, your anything? I don't know. It's really an open-ended question as we finish this conversation. I'm very grateful for your time. I'm very grateful for your time too, Shadi. And I just want to say that all my books, uh, profits are going to the association. Maybe it was not clear for, for people. I'm not writing for me. I write because when you buy a book, you help the association through the buying of the, this book, you know? And uh, this is for me, they, this pushed me because when I see how books can be healing too, so it pushes you to, to give the best of yourself, you know? My dreams is making more and more people comfortable and happy, especially now in Lebanon. Working, as I said, instead of speaking. I am bored of hearing people speaking and giving ideas for a better tomorrows, for better tomorrows in Lebanon and doing nothing. They said, okay, we speak, we, we put ideas on the table. Okay, great, but what did you do? Uh, you know, I, you have, uh, my dreams is to make, in a word, more people happy every day, despite the COVID. You always have to find solution. The COVID crisis pushed us to be in confinement, right? We, we, are, we had, okay, I was going to work and going back to home with precaution and having a husband being a doctor also, it was mad to manage. But we had to stay at home. So the time we spend at home is like an introspection who pushed me to wrote. It was an opportunity to wrote, to go more into books and to make a living for a lot of families. You know, every month in Lebanon with Le Petit Soleil, we have 300, uh, 350 families coming for having an envelope of direct help every, every, every month. Beside the food, beside the clothes, beside the, the toys you are trying to raise and to manage. And the things who makes me happy is that some of my patients that I followed for years are now doing, helping me with that, with the organization. This is incredible. It's, it looks for me like I've, if I've raised 10,000 uh, kids, voila, showing them to be uh, the best way. Uh, but you know, uh, there are a lot of people like me. I'm not... Uh, uh, well, I, I don't know if there are a lot of people like you, Noha. I think uh, it's... Uh, <laughs> you are one. No, no. I mean, let's let's be realistic here. I mean, listening to you, it... Um, it's not only it's inspiring. I hope that people are inspired who are listening and watching as I am, but also really um, a lot of what other people are doing with pale in comparison. I think the ability to help thousands and thousands of children who have otherwise not had any help um, is just uh, something that um, the world will always thank you for. Oh, thank you, Shadi. But I guess that this, when you are born like that, you are not allowed to not use it for others. I mean, to make the world a better place is an everyday job. And it's not about selfishness and self-well-being. Um, to, to have a, a well-being 
every every one of us it's very important if you are not well with yourself you cannot go to others and you cannot give but the purpose of all that is after all um to help to be a healer this is what i wanted since i am a kid and, and, and i'm going to conclude with hazam in fadl rabbi and you are and you continue to be um Noha, I'm very thankful for your time, for your generous time that you that you gave me and you gave my listeners and the the podcast. Um, uh, I I look forward to staying in touch and to bring you back to the show, hopefully between six to twelve months from now, where we could learn about all of the amazing things you're doing, especially with your new book that's gonna come up and and we'll look at it. And once your books are translated into Arabic or English, I will be the first buyer. I would buy I them now. Send them buy to them. You with love. I will send them to you with love. Thank you send for your me, time. Send me the link. Send me the link though to how um, listeners could help the organization, could help the book purchasing, because our goal here is to help the children wherever they are. Thank you, Shadi. I will send you also my personal. I, I can send them personally everywhere. If they cannot buy, I'm sending to to Italy, to to Canada. If they want directly, it's easy. And if, if not, they can buy them also, you know. I have also wrote about za'atar, about uh, uh, pomegranate, about miske, about uh, essential oil in a small uh, edition de l'Epure, which is an ed- a French editor, Sabine uh, Duquet, a, a wonderful person. She brings herself in her sweet, she doesn't speak any word of English. This is the, you know, she came to Beirut at the beginning of the Saura with her uh, luggage full of Zatar books. It was my first book. <laughs> in, and we sell it, we sell like 280 copies and it makes the amount necessary for 25 families of the association. I mean, you know, sometimes, you know, life put uh, persons on your way and those persons are like treats and you are one of them. Oh, you're very kind. Very kind. I'm, very, I'm very blessed to have gotten to know you and I look forward to continuing to uh, to stay in touch. Thank you so much. I am too. I am too. Have a wonderful Sunday. Bye. Okay, folks, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for supporting this podcast. And thank you for tuning in and listening to this amazing episode with Dr. Noha Albaz on Healthcare Unfiltered. Please let me know how I'm doing. You can reach me on um, Twitter by direct messaging me at Shadi Nabhan or by emailing me through the website, shadinabhan.com or to shadinabhan00 at outlook.com. Again, I appreciate your support. And in return, if you are a a listener and a supporter of the show, just direct message me and I would love to send you one of my healthcare unfiltered sports t-shirts. You will enjoy wearing them when you are running at the gym or we're simply lounging at the house. Before I let you go, I'd like to leave you with a saying by Oscar Wilde. Experience is simply the name we give our mistakes. Until next time, take care.